This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Not Without My Sister. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined in studio by my sister, Rosemary McCabe. I'm Beatrice McCabe, and this is our episode of Desert Island Books. So, Rosemary. (laughs) (laughs) I really was like, where is she going with this? Well, I couldn't come up with anything good. So, Rosemary, uh, you've recently written, well, in fact, you wrote a book over an extended period of time. Is that fair to say? (laughs) (laughs) I've both recently and historically been writing the exact same book. Yes, I'd say that is fair. And I know that you got quite a lot of questions on, on on the Instagram website, but I thought that I would weigh in with some of my own probing questions to really get at the mind of a writer. Can I actually just point out that there was one person who said something like, I really hope you'll be narrating the audiobook because I love listening to your voice. And of course, what did I get? A message from my sister. Did you write this to yourself? <laughs> did you? You didn't even answer me. No, I didn't. I told you already, I did consider writing myself some questions because I was like, this would be perfect promo now. I should ask myself some targeted questions from the podcast account and nobody would ever know that I'd ask myself. I couldn't think of a single thing. What was my favourite one of your answers? Oh yeah, the longest answer that you gave. Who would who would play you in a movie? Oh, this is a great question. This is a great question. I've actually thought about this a lot over the last several years. Drew Barrymore, maybe. And then you immediately, I saw you catching yourself like, oh, but I need somebody younger. And then like you got more and more despondent. You're making me sound so like country Irish. Oh, but I need someone younger. and And what's wrong with that, Rosemary? Nothing. Yeah. And probably Irish. Oh, can't think of anybody. Did you think of anybody afterwards? Because I thought thought of a few people. Well, somebody suggested Nicola Coughlin, who's in Derry Girls. Oh, that would be good. I like her. I like her. And somebody Vogue else Williams, suggested. I thought of. Oh well, Vogue Williams once blocked me on Instagram. I'm no longer blocked, but I'm not sure there were besties, so I'm not sure she'd want to play oh. me. And also, I think she's too tall and too good looking. What? You're extremely good looking. <sighs> you know what I mean. I should have said you're extremely tall. What did? <laughs> why did she block you? <laughs> I've no idea. Okay, I have a better one. Jamie Dornan, because I think that he really likes to stretch himself in his roles. This is supposed to be a serious episode and you're being ridiculous. Somebody else suggested the girl from The Last of Us, but they sent me the message and they said uh, the actor from 
I think they said the end of us or something and it was something else. And I looked it up and I was like, I've never heard of this before. And the only person I could see who looked remotely like me and it was Miriam Margulies. And I was like, did you mean Miriam Margulies? And she was like, no, 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 no. The last of us. <laughs> That's funny. What about, um, you know who I actually love as an actor? I can't remember her name. You'd be surprised to hear. But Hunger Games was also in Harry Potter, I think. Jennifer Lawrence? No, the British one. The she was British also in Game one. of Thrones. Oh, you love her. She played Anne Boleyn in the, yeah, in the Tudors, her. didn't she? Yeah, yeah. Oh, love her. She, she has a really interesting face. She looks a bit like a cat. I can't yeah. remember what her name is. Yeah, I'd love if she could play, you know, but could she do an Irish accent? Yeah, but could she do? I mean, because in the book, it really starts when I'm 18 and ends when I'm like 33. So I think you'd need somebody in their 20s. Or you just need to suspend disbelief and just put up with it. Okay, we'll go back to there are plenty of very talented Irish people. What about Ashling B? I don't know what age she is. Too old. What? We need somebody in their 20s. She's definitely in her 40s. I should think she's only in her 30s, but okay, who else is there then? I'm not I'm not au fait enough. Sir Ronan. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. She's too old as well. What? She's too old. What age is she? I don't know. Ashling B's 39, too old. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think Saoirse Ronan Saoirse, would oh, be absolutely Yeah, Saoirse Ronan would be fine. She's 29. She'd have to put on a bit of weight, but sure, no bother to her. If Charlize Theron could do it, Saoirse Ronan could do it. She'd be absolutely, yeah, she'd be great. Okay, great. Casting call solved. Okay, perfect. Tick. Next question. Okay, so Mother said the other day that you gave her a great synopsis of the book because she's very concerned that it is purely a sex book. Would you like to... <laughs> Which, I mean, I don't know why she'd be concerned about that. Sounds fine to me. But would you like to give us, uh, you know, a brief description of the book itself? What's it about? What's the, you know, main themes, etc.? Well, as I said to Mother, the book is a memoir told through the romantic relationships that I've had. Or that's kind of a fuzzy definition because I'm sure some of the men detailed in the book would not consider that we had romantic relationships. But we did in my head. Like relationships that seemed significant <laughs> to me, whether or not it was like one date or 25 dates you know what I mean listen like that's I mean at the end of the day that's what it's about right at the end of the date that's what it's about it's like how you how it made you feel what's what's your truth this is my truth exactly. exactly um yeah but it's it's about dating and it's about romance and it's kind of about sex but I think more than any of that it's about the evolution of me as a girl and then a woman who very much placed so much value on the idea of having a boyfriend and not just that, but of being desired by boys and then men. And I suppose the the stupid things that I did in pursuit of that goal and the sacrifices that I made and the ways in which I, I kind of molded myself or changed myself with some kind of vague idea of what men wanted in mind and how that all went really well for me because now I'm married and have a baby. So this is your first book, right? Correct? Mm-hmm. And was it was yeah. it always your plan to write a memoir as your first book? No, um, I think it was, I just started writing kind of little bits about dating and about romance. And I, I kind of felt like there was a theme running through all of my thoughts about dating and romance that was kind of about like how we mold ourselves and create ourselves in the image of what we think men want. Sometimes, right? Obviously not all women do this. I think a lot of women do it. I think a lot of women are kind of conditioned to do it. And I 
I used to love going on dates for the stories, you know what I mean? So I could come back and tell my friends about either the terrible date or the great date. And if and if a date looked like it was slightly going terribly, I would never leave a date because I'd always be like, this is going to be a good story. Like I'm staying for the story, which I'm lucky that like very few really horrific things happened to me because I think like there are some dates that I went on where I was like, well, I'm not going home, but this guy's clearly a psychopath. You know what I mean? That I was like, what's he going to say next? And I think in telling all these stories to people, they f- it just felt like they were right there at the front of my mind and I kind of needed to get them out on paper or like typed out almost like to give them to someone else like that f- that film it follows where <laughs> people get cursed and in order to like lift the curse they have to have sex with somebody and then that next person gets their curse then it almost feels like I have to hand off all of this these like difficult stories and some of them are funny and some of them are traumatic and like hand them off to readers and then wipe my slate clean and start over with whatever I'm going to write next. So a couple of things that you said there are actually really interesting to me. So did the finished book, the finished work, did it end up being what you thought it would be going into it? Did it end up close to kind of what you envisioned when you started? I think so. I mean, I probably would say that like I obviously don't know how it's going to be received, right? Because very few people have read it and the people who have read it are absolutely invested in me as a person and have told me that they love it. But, you know, I don't know if it was written by somebody else, would they still love it, right? So I, I don't have a proper idea of whether it's good or not is what I'm trying to say. So I think when I started out writing it, I had an idea in my head that it was going to be written in a very literary way, kind of like John Banville, but like young and about sex, right? <laughs> and... I think in in the writing of it, the more I tried to make things literary or make things funny, the further I got away from the truth of of it, if that makes sense. So I kind of ended up, I think, pairing it back a bit to the bare bones of here's what happened and like telling the stories as honestly as I could. And, you know, some of them are funny and I've let them be funny and some of them are awful and I've let them be awful, but I'm not trying to make the awful ones sound funny which I think I was in the beginning before I kind of started working on it. So I think maybe I thought it was going to be a funnier book overall than it is in the end, because it's not that I took the comedy out of it, but I stopped trying to inject comedy where there was none. So that's actually funny because that was going to be my next question, like segueing from what you said previously, because, well, number one, I think it's funny that you think I would tell you it's brilliant if I didn't think it was brilliant, right? Or very well written, because I don't think I'm overly sugarcoaty with you right but one of the pieces of feedback that I've given you over the years or one of my it's not even a piece of feedback it's more an observation of your writing from my perspective is that there is usually in your personal writing not necessarily in your journalism and your business writing but that there is usually um you know kind of some self-deprecating humor there's a punchline there's a little bit of glossing over things to have a witty to tie it up in a witty way and I've given you the feedback that I would like kind of a slowing down I think it's not that I would like Mm. it's that I think that there is more to be mined there like more honesty more truth more hard truths and I do think you achieved a lot of that in this book um where I think the first pass the first draft like you're saying there was more kind of not glib because it's obviously hard like it's some of it is very hard to read it must have been hard to write but there was Mm -hmm. definitely more of a moving on and then as you got further and kind of revised it there was more tapping into like those some difficult things to probably admit about yourself but also some difficult things to admit that you put up with etc did you find it hard to write from that perspective 
I think I found it hard to write from two points of view. So I think the first way that I found it hard to write was just some... I mean, look, a lot of these relationships, I don't feel like I got any sense of closure. I know we've talked before about like, is can you ever really get closure? But I think coming out of these relationships, there wasn't a beginning, middle and end because in a lot of them I was like, what went wrong? Like, why didn't he want to like marry me? Why didn't he want to stay? Like, like what happened? And through this book, I wasn't able to answer that question. And like, obviously, right? Because I didn't consult, like I didn't ask these guys, like, where do you think it went wrong? Like in order to write this book, because it's all written from my perspective. But I really kind of found it hard to revisit relationships that I had found difficult or that I've that I'd left unresolved because I was writing about them and I was really itching to like resolve them. Do you know what I mean? I was really itching to give them to to like tie them up in a way at the end. And I found that hard. Actually, maybe there are three ways I found it hard. Then the second way is just when when things were traumatic or really heartbreaking it was really hard to revisit them in a way that isn't just you know something upsetting happens sometimes you're like okay like I need to be in the right mindset and then I'll tell you about this story and just listen because like don't say anything because I'm going to cry right and you say the story once to somebody and then it's over whereas with this I was like writing it down going over it going over it going over it giving it to an editor then going over it again giving it to another editor going over it again so that was really hard to keep revisiting these moments that I would say some of which were kind of traumatic and then other ones were just, I suppose, contained within them a kind of a kernel of grief and revisiting them and revisiting them was a challenge. And then the last way is that I just feel like in a lot of moments in the book, I'm talking about decisions that I made or things that I did that were really shitty and it was really hard to revisit them and it was hard to write that down and not want to make myself look a bit better or justify them in a way that if I was telling you about something bad that I did I'd be like oh but listen like listen I know it was really bad but I did it because xyz and like you know like really at the time I didn't and I definitely try to kind of give a background and try to make it clear to the reader why I made those decisions but I'm also making clear to the reader that the why was also shitty (laughs) you know what I mean that it was like I made this decision because I wanted this guy to fancy me or I wanted to feel desired and I wasn't thinking about anybody else and writing those things down and going over them several times was quite confronting, I think. So it's interesting when you talk about the idea of what went wrong, because, you know, that's very much um, kind of a narrative that we are fed, you know, just in life. If you have a relationship, the goal is for that relationship to be Mm. successful. The relationship. yeah. Yeah. You know, whereas I don't know that I look back on my life now and think that things went wrong. I think that things happened and that they weren't meant to be, you know, do you feel, mm. cause like, do you, do you have a different perspective when you look back on them? And do you wonder what went wrong or do you see them more as steps on a journey? Like if you think about your friendships, I don't know that the same pressure is put on friendships with friendships. You're going to go, Oh, well she moved here and I moved there, but there's no blame ascribed yeah. or, and there's no kind of um, like error, you know, there's no, there's no wrongdoing. It's just that what that's what happened. That's life. Whereas with relationships, mm. I suppose because you also have to say the words, I want to break up with you or I'm being yeah. broken up with. In a friendship, it can be more subtle. It's more gradual, yeah. You can kind of do like a friendship ghosting. I mean, yes. So like, I think you know, in writing it, I kind of tried to go back to where I was at that moment and not really write about them with the benefit of hindsight too much. Because I think that changes then your perspective and that changes how they happened if you're writing about them from you like 20 years later but there were some relationships definitely that 
in when I was in them, I thought we are going to get married. Like we are soulmates. We are going to get married. Or like not even. I don't know if I really believe in soulmates, but like we are really good together. We have a really good thing. We're gonna. This is going to go the distance. And the distance to me was we're going to get married. We're going to have a family. We're going to be together. So they felt like it felt like something went wrong or there was a moment where we veered onto different paths, like where our paths diverged. And then there are other ones where, I don't know, it's just like, there are guys that I think about now, one in particular in the book, like like I'm thinking of, that I just fancied so much. And I can't even remember now if we went on two dates or four dates, suspect probably closer to two, but I was obsessed with him. Like really like fancied him so much was like, was always, I, I couldn't walk around town, but I was like looking out for him. If I saw the bus that I knew he got, I'd be like, I wonder if he's on that bus. And like for year, for like five years after we went on these four dates, I was like, truly, it it really occupied my thoughts. And I think with, the, with, with those ones, I'm just like, how did it happen that I was so mad about you and you, like, you just felt nothing like, like, how does that happen in life? Like, I can feel all these huge, big feelings and you feel nothing. But do you and think so those that... feelings, do you think those feelings are actually related to, like, do you think you could say this is why it's like you're saying I was obsessed with that person, but could you like, this was his bus and this was his, but like, could you tell me this was, these were his favorite hobbies and this is what was so great. Like, what was it? Because it's like when I, before the week before I get my period, right, I have lots of very, <laughs> very strong emotions that I very strongly mm-hmm. feel. And like looking back over my life as well, I wonder, are some of these massive emotions that I had, like, were they hormonal? Were they, because yeah. some of them make no sense to that point you know or is it truly like a chemical pheromones like what's what is going on to your point I honestly don't know I think like I'm trying to think about this guy I think he just came along at a time when I was really I think I'd been single for like I mean knowing me about three weeks and that was long enough no I think I've been single for about a year a year and a half a year and a half when was this when you were seven sorry no it was in my 20s this was before I got with Liam so it would have been in my very early 20s so I broke up with my college boyfriend when I was 24 and I think when I met Liam I was 26 so it would have been in those two years that that one gap in my dating history okay but sorry you say single but you were actually like you know oh, short, short-term dating everybody whereas I think you actually oh. mean I did not like date anybody for a year and a half oh no 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 what I mean single is like Beatrice anytime I was single I was like trying to date everybody I like I don't think I've I ever mean, had a period in my life where I was single and like not dating I mean so was I like trying being the operative word in my case trying very hard <laughs> right from my bedroom with like lots of telepathic effort but yeah, so this is not intended to judge you at all, right? You were an extremely, extremely successful dater in my mind. I mean, yeah, I think I, maybe that was it that I was like, I've been so successful. Why doesn't this guy want me? Yeah. I have a good maybe. track record. Well, but I think actually, I don't know, it was like a confluence of factors. He, I thought he was so cute. He had incredible eye contact, which I found very charming. Like, this is so cliched, right? And I didn't write this in the book because it's so cliched, but he is the type of person you'd be talking to and you'd be like, he only cares about me in this entire room. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he only yeah. wants to talk to me. You know who else has that, Beatrice? Very me. timely. Ryan Tuberty. 
Oh, I thought you meant me. Very charming. Ryan Tuberty, when you're having a conversation with Ryan Tuberty, you literally feel like you are the most fascinating person he has ever interviewed. Maybe you were. Maybe. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So as you were writing this, you know, it's it's a lot of these memories, I think it's hard, like you're saying, to go back and mine them and, and really see where you maybe were less than mm. a wonderful person. You know, because we do, we, we look back on our histories and we kind of go, because we have to live with ourselves every day. You know, we don't sit around, mm. well, I mean, I think we're our own worst critics, but at the same time, the choices that we make in life, we have to believe that we did them for the right reason. Yeah, we tried. Yeah. We tried to be decent people, right? Yeah. Did you have more empathy for yourself, though? I wondered as you were reading this, because like it's very clear that a lot of these, especially the earlier chapters, like were a much younger person, you know, mm. with less life experience, with like who made definitely even that, you know, especially the teenage ones, like who made choices that you would never make now. You know, it was a very. It's very different, I think, being a teenager and and how you treat how you forgive your friends how you make friends etc like did you look back and Mm. feel differently about yourself were you or was it or was it hard it was hard I looked back and I felt I don't know that I felt empathy for myself because I felt a lot of shame writing about them just kind of going oh god like that was so why did that was such an awful thing to do and like why did I do that like shame tinged with terror that I'm like now everyone's gonna know because I'm telling them but you know what I mean like that's kind of kind of a weird thing but I just, a lot of it, I felt sad that I was like, all, all this shit that I did because 
I was so, and I mean, to a certain extent, I still am, right? I was so intensely affected by whether or not I think somebody desires me. And it only has to be one person. But as long as I feel like I am desired by a man, it really, like, as Bo would say, fills my bucket. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I've and i never managed to find a way to, like, fill that part of the bucket on my own. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that really still, like, fills me up and warms my cockles and makes me feel so much better about myself and I wish it didn't and like writing about it and kind of thinking about that made me really sad because I was like a it's so crap that you're like so reliant on these losers for validation and affirmation and then b I was like and you still are (laughs) okay so I'm definitely not hearing a lot of empathy here I'd have to say I'm feeling a lot of empathy for this person because I think you talk about it like a very one-way street but you're also a very generous and caring partner like you like to do things for your partner you like to be there to you know to hang out together even though we all make fun of mom all the time who like cannot be who like can't understand why people who are partners would ever want to be away from Mm. each other for more Mm. than 20 seconds like there's a whack at that off you too you know like let's which is nice I mean do you do you not ever think to yourself like this is the human condition we want to love and be loved like it's actually not necessarily a super negative flawed characteristic or was that your takeaway still this is something I need to fix I suppose I don't really think about it as being a human thing because it feels to me in my life to have been kind of unbalanced and so in my head I've always seen it as a gender thing that I'm like I want to feel desired by men because that validates me as a woman and I think because I'm so I've done so much reading about like feminist activism and first wave and second wave. And, you know, I've read all these different things and I've got really pissed off because I'm like, I shouldn't be looking for validation from men. You know what I mean? That I like, I should be a better feminist than this. And yet Mm. still I am. And I always have been. So you're like, I shouldn't feel like, yeah, I shouldn't feel like this. He likes me. I know. I know. It's like, (laughs) I am a feminist. He giving me the eye. Do you think like oh was there anything really annoying when you read the book afterwards which I know you read it several times was there any did you have any takeaway that surprised you was there anything kind of that you hadn't anticipated that came out as a central theme for you or was it more confirmation of what you already suspected about yourself or about the world or like were you surprised at some of the individuals that you actually chose to date who maybe you you know like patterns of behavior sometimes are hard to see except in hindsight you know what I think one of the things that surprised me the most and this will probably go back to your like you're not showing yourself a lot of empathy point is that (laughs) as I was writing it I was like god I was an Egypt back then and then when we get to like my second last boyfriend and I'm like Jesus I was a fucking Egypt then too it was like because I felt like I learned a lot and I learned a lot and learned a lot and then I had a personal difficult time And my self-esteem was really low. And I then got into a relationship that in hindsight, I shouldn't have ever got into because like the red flags were on fire from day one. And like, it's the kind of thing that I would look at and go, oh, well, I was only 23, except I was 34. You know what I mean? So I was surprised at my own lack of learning from my experiences. Now, I didn't seem to get any wiser. Now, of course, we hate to, you know, we don't want to lay blame for, you know, it at anybody else's feet for our own choices. However, you and I were blaming mom the other day for our lack of good boundary setting, 
right? Do you think that that's something like, I think mom is actually, I think she probably has pretty good boundaries. You know, she's not, Mm. I think she's pretty good at understanding like where to draw the line. I, but she's also very accommodating. She helps a lot of, you Mm -hmm. know, she's very generous with her time. She'll, she'll help anybody. She'll go out of her way to, you know, Mm -hmm. do you think you're, you're very like that too, right? Do you think that that's, and obviously it's, it's a very good characteristic. However, throughout the book, you can see that like, were there moments where you thought like that should have been it, or I should have said no, or, I mean, but you know what I mean? Do you think you'd behave differently now? Do you think you've become better at these boundaries or are they more conscious? Are they more front and center in your mind now? Or do you think you do it all the same again? (laughs) (sighs) Can't it be both? Can't it be both? I, I do feel like they're very front and center. I feel like I'm much more aware of where I should have boundaries, but like I look back, I'd say there's a chapter in the book written about a guy I dated named Scott. That's not, I mean, all names, have, almost all names have been changed. And in that chapter, I think I talk about in the very early days when we started going out, I really just was not getting the feeling that he was very into it. And I kind of went, you know what? I just don't feel like you're into this. Like this isn't going to work. Instead of going, I'm not getting what I need from you. We're We're not really compatible in this way. You know what I mean? That I really was like, Tell me that you actually do want to go out with me. Instead of thinking to myself, this person isn't as affectionate as I would like or isn't as enthusiastic as I deserve. And not that I I wouldn't change anything, right? Because I am where I am. And the vast majority of the relationships I've had have been with people that I truly think are wonderful people. I'd say a small majority, (laughs) most, (laughs) more than 50%, but maybe not more than 60%. But I mean, when I think about a lot of the men in this book, I I have very positive feelings towards them. So I wouldn't I wouldn't take it back. But yeah, I mean, there are definitely moments where I go, you know what, I should have just gone. No, this isn't good enough for me. But instead I was going, am I not good enough for you? But I see it. But I see it now sometimes in in my in my marriage now, like in, in my relationship with my husband that I'll sometimes say to him, I really just I'm not like you know, I don't feel like you're being very nice to me or, you know, are you annoyed with me? And I really feel sometimes like I kind of, I'm looking to him for assurance that he loves me. When in fact, I should be going, we're married. Like you've told me you love me and and you tell me you love me and I believe you, but you need to show it to me a little bit better because that's what I need. Instead of being like, why aren't you loving me? Why aren't you looking at me adoringly? Why do you never think of me when you're in the shops? You never get me anything. You know what I mean? (laughs) You are, Mom. <laughs> Philip never gets me anything in the shops. <laughs> there's actually so, there's nothing nicer than somebody going to do something and just thinking of you and just going, oh, I just picked this up because I was thinking of you. What is your love language, Rosemary? Gifts. Is it? Mine is acts of service. All I want are just endless cups of tea. That's all I want. That is true, true, true devotion in my book. Well, there's a great podcast called If Books Could Kill where they debunk like famous and best-selling airport books. And one of the books that they debunk is The Love Language and they're basically like this guy who was like a religious, quite right-wing, conservative lunatic wrote this book and plucked these love languages out of his arse. And it really made me rethink my love languages gifts theory, you know. Fair play, acts of service. Well, I mean, I tell you that it is acts of service, whatever you want to but, call it. Like, but what is, is tea. But but isn't there like like they can say so my love language that I want given to me is gifts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mine is love service. language. I'm, I'm sorry, I was only talking about what I want. 
Okay, so um, but how do you how do you show love? What's your love language outwardly? Your expressive love language versus your receptive love language? Uh, well, it's definitely not hugs. Oh, I was going to say physical affection because I feel like that's the easiest and cheapest one to do. Uh, mine is probably gifts or acts of service. I actually think mine is probably gifts too. I think we, like we both like buying things for people because we see something and we go, oh, they'd love that. And I just want people to do that for me too. Yeah, but as you said today, like we're not necessarily, we, we love it more than maybe they love it. So again, wrong. We've got the, we, we need to figure out what all of our friends' love language is, if it exists, if it works. Maybe we should just start buying gifts for each other. I do buy gifts for you. But like a more formal arrangement where every Friday <laughs> we give each other a gift. <laughs> I don't have a job right now, Rosemary, so sounds great, but mine will be handmade. Yeah, you brought me in that Terry's Chocolate Orange. That was a true love gift. It was delicious, and Bo and I enjoyed it. Every time the nurses turned their backs, I snuck him a piece. It was absolute heaven. Oh, were you not supposed to be giving it to him? Uh, Probably not in the hospital. I was in the hospital Mm. last week, for anybody who's listening and was not aware of that, with my nine-year-old son feeding him Terry's Chocolate Orange. Um, So, Rosemary, should we expect a follow-up memoir in how many years? No, because it'd just be really boring. It'd be like, that year we had 117 Indian takeaways and he only told me he loved me 50 times. So I said, why don't you love me? And he said, I do. The next year, like it'd be very boring. I was more thinking that the next memoir doesn't have to be about romance at all because you got your, got the ring on the thing. Now it could be, (laughs) now it could be, you know, what's the next 30 years? Do you feel liberated? Now, like, do you no. not think about this anymore or you're still looking for validation, but from the man you have trapped in the house with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? I don't feel liberated and it doesn't feel quite like it was the exorcism of like ghosts that I thought it was going to be because now I am entirely obsessed with the idea that these men are going to read this book and that I will never know what their reactions were. <laughs> and that's really obsessing my thoughts now. And like, what's worse is some of them, I kind of might follow their wives on Instagram and I'm like, maybe I should message her and be like, video, I'm reading that chapter. <laughs> what I'm worried is like, now you have, you've written the book, right? You you said that you were very focused. This was like, you spent a lot of time. Now you also spent a lot of time doing other things. Like let's not, mm-hmm. you know, over and Watching blackhead your... squeezing videos. No, but like you had, a, you know, you worked very hard. You had multiple careers. You, yeah. you know, you did lots of other things. But now with the bandwidth in your mind that must be freed up by no longer looking for this kind of validation. I don't know that it works like this, honestly. I was going to say, you could have a whole other hobby. You could become like, I don't know, like the future potter extraordinaire. I don't think you want to be a potter, but like- This is just because you read that Emily Henry book. Potter? Oh yeah, that thing. God, that bit was crap. (laughs) I did enjoy it. I mean, that pottery part, they like, I was just going, no. I think I'll feel truly liberated when the book is out. I know- like I've read or heard or been given, you know, feedback or I've, I've, I know what the reception to it is. I've done the, cause I have a few like interviews lined up and I have a radio interview next week and I'm doing a podcast and like, so I'm talking about a lot and, and in a way I'd kind of hadn't really accounted for how much that would involve revisiting it again. Cause like once I wrote it and sent off the final letter, I was like, fine, I don't need to read that anymore. And I'm like, actually I do need to read that several more times. <laughs> so that's kind of weird, but um. I don't think I would like to write another memoir because I am very judgmental about people who say things like, you know what I realized about myself? 
I just thought, I find that really boring. And I feel like if I write another memoir, I'll be doing even more of that. And I want to get away from that. I literally say that to you at least twice a week. Do you know what I realized about myself? I used the word epiphanous, which isn't even a word last week. I said I had this epiphany about myself. Are you literally like, oh, boring? No, I wasn't actually thinking about you. I was thinking about men. I don't mind anything that women say, but when it comes out of men's mouths, it's bad. Not a provocative statement at all. Okay, so what's next? Are you going to write? Um, have you another? Have you idea for a next book? Like, what's next? Because I'm I've, I've got pre-ordered my copy. I'm going to rip through it for the fourth time, and then like I'm going to be waiting. What's next? Like, is it going to be released full? What? What year? When's the next book coming out? What's it about? What's next is I need to work on getting an agent, and then mm-hmm. I need to work on getting a publishing deal, and then I need to finish or like really get into the meat of. I want to write a book about new motherhood, but not be boring. So I've kind of been thinking about a dark kind of semi like thriller horror ish book about a woman who, and this might sound familiar to Beatrice, moves to a housing estate in a, in a new country she's never lived in before, has a baby and starts to feel like a lot of weird, creepy horrible things are happening around her and doesn't know if it's in her mind, doesn't know if it's real doesn't know if it's to do with this new baby that she's had and this, you know, these feelings of kind of overwhelm and terror and not knowing what's going to come next. But that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment. Okay, so now we're going to have, I know we're nearly at time, but we've got a rapid fire round now. We've got to ask you a couple of quick questions. All right. Okay. Most romantic gesture you've ever experienced? I actually think it was when I'm going to say everything positive is about Brandon and everything negative is about everyone else. But I think it was one day Brandon went to work and he left me he like ripped out a page out of one of the kids notebooks and just wrote I love you on it. And like I found it, you know, next to the kettle or something. And it was just really sweet and really cute and like not, you know, it was just out of nowhere and it wasn't to do with anything. It wasn't for an occasion. It was just a reminder. And that felt to me like true romance. Oh, best location for a date you've ever been on? Oh, God. Um, Well, I don't look like the cinema isn't great now because you can't really talk. I don't think I've ever been on. You know what? I went on a first date once to the Vintage Cocktail Club in Temple Bar, which is like one of these, you know, you knock on the, like, like there's no signage outside. You knock on the door and exactly. I didn't want to say speakeasy because it sounded too pretentious, but it is a speakeasy. And that was really nice because the two of us, you know, you're having these like interesting cocktails and you're tasting each other's drinks and it was just, you're not just sitting in a bar having a vodka and Coke. Or as I am one to do on dates, a beer. Favourite rom-com? Oh, you know what? I really like He's Just Not That Into You and I don't really know why because it's truly terrible. Oh, That's one I like Scarlett uh, Johansson and Bradley Cooper. I've actually never seen it. What's the one with... Um, Kate Hudson and Matthew. Ten McConaughey. things I hate about you. That that's no, a very good no. one as well. Ten things I hate. Is oh no, no, sorry, sorry. How to lose a guy in ten days. I yes. there's a ten in it. There's a ten. Yeah, yeah love that's very that. good. Oh, I actually yes. love Ten Things I Hate About You, but I don't know if I would classify it as a rom com strictly. It's oh. like a teen drama. I also like uh, those Drew Barrymore ones where she goes back to school and has uh, never been kissed. Place. Yeah, maybe she could be you because like she was about she was she played a fourteen year old and a fifty year old. So age Next is question. Issue. Uh, most romantic song ever that brings a tear to your eye and a tremble to your lower lip. Oh my God, that song. I'm the one who wants to be with you. Always makes me cry, I don't know why. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know why that always makes me feel like crying. Maybe because I'm okay. that's all I've ever wanted. Dream romantic destination. Well, it's not Paris because as I detail in the book, I went on a horrible weekend to Paris and ended up breaking up on the airport on the way home. Um, I actually don't care where it is. I just like to go to a nice hotel with good room service and like be really lazy and get a massage. It just, like it could literally be in like, what's a really shit town in America? I don't know. It could be in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so this doesn't sound romantic. This just sounds like an individual getaway. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Back to that. You know you know where it's beautiful and very romantic? In Shadani in Cork. And because the hotel, like a lot of the rooms overlook the beach. And the breakfast room is this amazing, it has windows, like almost like a huge bay window. And it feels like it's going out over the sea. You know what I mean? It's just beautiful. So probably in Chidani, I would say, because like the views are spectacular and there's loads to do if you're not getting on. But it's also just really nice to like go for a walk on the beach. So any last words you'd like to leave for people who are out there looking for their Mr. Mrs. Right person? You know what I would say, and it's advice that I would never take myself, is like, try not to put up with stuff that you wouldn't want your friends to put up with. You know, like if your friends are telling you like, oh, I went out on a day with a guy and he did this, and you're like, fucking dump him, he's a dick. Like, think about that for yourself. Like, don't allow yourself, take off the rose-tinted glasses of like, but he's so cute, and but he seems so nice. And but, you know, we had that whole conversation about how we'd like to live in France together when we're in our 40s. You know, get over all that. And think to yourself, like, would I be happy for my friend to date him? And if my friend told me about this behavior, what would I tell her? Okay, I have a tip as well. Watch Jewish matchmaking if it's on Netflix. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Well, I mean, all of it is like, like, whatever you think of yourself, right? If you think, like, if you would rate yourself out of out of 10, right? You think you're a six. Remind yourself you're actually not. You're an eight. And you're a 10. Like, you're a no, 10. No, no, but like, what I mean is like the boundaries that you set up for yourself and the standards that you set for yourself and like how picky you are, you should be pickier. The boundaries should be higher. The standards should be higher. Like go more than you're doing right now because almost all of us, except for the women on Jewish matchmaking are selling ourselves short. And we shouldn't be. It's okay to have high standards. Exactly. But don't be a picky bitch. Nobody likes them. Thank you, Rosemary McCabe. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Really enjoyed this. Feel like I've learned a lot. Can you tell us how might we get our little mitts on this book? The book is available in hard copy everywhere books are sold in the UK and Ireland. In the US, it's only available at the moment on ebook, but you can order from Irish bookshops to be shipped to the US. And I think the one with the best rates for international shipping seems to be Kenny's, but all of the links are in my Instagram bio for like various different bookshops. So if you need to get it sent overseas, check those and you can see the different kind of shipping costs there. Thanks, Rosemary. Best of luck. Thanks, Beatrice. (laughs) This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.